I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Hebrews over in chapter 13, the latter portion of this book. Then we're going to go just a few pages to the right to Revelation 2, and we'll read a few scriptures there. I want to remind you that this evening at 5 o'clock, our ladies have a missions pledge that we have an auction, and I'll, I'll mention it later, but we're going to have it actually in the auditorium and spread everybody out so you can have a safe distance and feel wonderful because it's important. Have this dessert auction and time for Thanksgiving, and it's kind of been a, a thing that we've done for years and years. Helps some of our ladies that, that work all the time. They can prepare, don't have to prepare desserts. You can give to missions and then have it so I want you to remember that tonight at five o'clock if you can't come or you prefer not coming because of the COVID thing then uh, you can give us some money today in the offering and just put it ladies legacy ladies or ladies missions or something and you can support it in that manner I'm going to ask you to do something different this morning uh, just for a few verses of scripture I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to read the word of God and Follow with me, if you will, at Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to be reading at a couple of verses. Our Christ is talking about how we live, and he's talking about love, how we love in the social realm, our brothers and sisters in our world and those about us as Christians. And then it talks about um, how we're to let this be expressed and how thankful we should be. Look with me in Hebrews 13. Verse 15, therefore by him, meaning Christ, speaking to us, let us continually offer the what? Sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Will you just join me and say, thank you, Lord, for the name that's above every name. Ready? Thank you, Lord, for the name that's above every name. Verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. I want you to just note that in these two verses there is that thanksgiving and then there is the work that shows the thanksgiving. It transitions. Turn with me about 20, 30 pages to the right, Revelation chapter 2. I only want to read the first portion of one verse, verse 9. Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. How many of you are born again into the kingdom in this room this morning? How many of you are born into it? I want you to turn to someone and say to them, you are rich. Raise your hand if you're born again. Turn to somebody with a hand up and say, you are rich. <laughs> it's true. Just a page over, one other verse, verse or chapter 4. This is the four and twenty elders that sit before the throne of God. We could go into what they represent. You can study that for yourself. But there are four and twenty elders before the throne of God. In verse 11, here is what they say. You are worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. I want you to turn to someone and say you are here for a purpose. 
Yes, you are. In your hand and on the seat where you came in this morning, and we'll provide it on the screen for those that are watching us by streaming video. We're going to do something that I haven't done in a long time. We're going to have a responsive reading. And for me, this is worship. I'm going to read the small case letters. I want all of you together to read the large case or all capital letters. And I don't want you to do this in just a response as, okay, I have to read this. I want you to look at the line that you're you're supposed to read the caps, all caps, and I want you to read that with some worship and enthusiasm in your spirit. Even in your home or hospital, wherever you're watching us, and you can see this on the screen, and I want us to join all across the world, literally, if you will, and let's give thanks to God. How many of you are thankful? How many of you are glad for a beautiful building? Heat. How many of you are glad for food? How many of you are glad for clothing? Two eyes and two legs and two hands. I'm just thankful, aren't you? Let's read it as a responsive reading. You follow me and then I'll lead you in your line. Here we go. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble. Don't forget that. And gathered in from the lands from the east and the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert places, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. How many are glad for a home? <laughs> Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the sons of men. For he satisfies him who is thirsty, and the hungry he fills with good things. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the sons of men. And let them offer sacrifice of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. For your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's a great promise. For I know whom I have believed. For I know whom I have believed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded, I'm convinced beyond all shadow of doubt. He, sorry, I'm ad-libbing here, okay? If you're looking for those words, stay with me. I'll get there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 
<laughs> Lord, I just pray you receive that praise from us and that thanks from us. Amen. You may be seated. Through the Holy Spirit, God spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos, an island where he was left alone. Revelation, ladies and gentlemen, was not written in riddles so that the mental elites of the world could solve its riddles. Revelation was not written so future armchair prophets could explain it to us, albeit I do believe God has prophets that can speak to us. John is exiled. You talk about being quarantined. Listen, uh, being uh, exiled on an island by yourself is a heap more than what we call social distancing. Right? So thank God at least you can see somebody. John was lonely all by himself. He'd preached the gospel all of his life. And here they put him out, in a sense, to pasture, as we would say, to get rid of this problem preacher. I think John longed for companionship, and I think because we know we're social beings that God placed him in a place where he also was lonely and he needed the presence of God. So God spoke to him. John Wright, again, not so it could be complicated, he said, John Wright, these things, the things that were and the things that are and the things that shall be. And in simple terms, let me just say this. God wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wrote it so that every generation can know the destiny of all creation. There's no question about it. God planned it from the end, and then he wrote the beginning to meet it. You'll never take God out of the equation. You can try, you can push, you can do everything you want, but every generation someday will stand before God and say that he is the I Am. In Revelation 2, where we read it just a moment ago, Christ stood in majesty, he stood in authority, and he stood in a love relationship with the church of Smyrna. These seven churches of Asia Minor were pictures of what the church and the world will be like just before the return of Christ. And truly, they are a great picture for every generation. He stood there with the authority and the majesty, and he declared to that church, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. Isn't it amazing? He said, I know your poverty, but you are rich. And in doing so, church, immediately we are taken from that which is temporal to that which is eternal. I know your poverty, temporal, but you are rich. That takes us to eternity. Look at the difference in the perspective. It's a journey that you and I had better take often in the day in which we live. From the temporal to the eternal. From the problem to the promise. 
In November 1621, a group of some of the most underprivileged and sacrificing people that you'll ever know gathered with family and friends for the first Thanksgiving at Plymouth. And I just want to declare to you, ladies and gentlemen, that was on American soil. There were times before, I'm sure other people in places had a Thanksgiving, but for us, not only was it here on our land, but it became a national holiday. Thank God there is still a church, and we still celebrate Thanksgiving. On that occasion, they gave thanks to that which was natural and that which was supernatural. What I mean by that is they thank God for their food. And truth is, if you want to read the first one, it wasn't about bountifulness. It was enough to survive. These people struggled and struggled and struggled. And they were thankful that they had something to eat and that God had supernaturally spared their lives. And today we want to try to do away with that and change our history. But folks, those are the facts. I want to tell you, you're probably not near as thankful when you have plenty as that when you realize you have very little. Or you've lost the plenty and now there's little. These people not only looked at their corn, I think, that they had, and maybe, I don't know, when the Indian and Native Americans showed them how to bury a fish with it so that their crops would grow. I've been taught that all my life. Come find out it's all true. (laughs) It's amazing. I don't know when they did all that, but I can tell you this. They didn't just thank God for the corn and the friends. They thanked God for a supernatural taking care of them across the big ocean so that they could come and worship and give thanks in liberty, in freedom. We could spend hours discussing that, thanking God for that which we're thankful. We could spend hours admonishing each other that we should be thankful, and I think we should. Don't take anything for granted, ladies and gentlemen. But in this late hour of which you and I live... The truth that I want to experience, want us to experience, from the urgency of my heart, I I want to move us, and this is the title today, I want to move us, yes, to thanksgiving, but I want to move us from thanksgiving to adoration of the giver. So I want to begin with thanksgiving, things that are important to us all. I think, first of all, it is right that we should give God thanks. We should thank our providential God, the God that provides everything we have. I mentioned Wednesday night. If, if I had to work for every breath that, that keeps this body alive, and that's what I, if I had to work for every breath, that's all I would do in existence is work every few seconds just to exist. Do you realize God so wonderfully and fearfully formed us and made us? We have involuntary muscles. He provides the air we breathe. He he, he provided the involuntary signals in our brain. And we breathe and never think much of it unless we, like I fell off the slide when I was six years old and knocked the breath out of my body. Anybody here ever had the breath knocked out of you? It's easy to take for granted. God provides the body, the brain, the involuntary muscle, everything in the air. Thank God for all the physical and the natural, tangible things that have. He's given us absolutely, yes, they are numerous. 
Every day, things like food. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, would stop and thank God for the food, for his incarnate flesh body. But there's beyond that, there's the care that he gives us and the protection that he gives us, the guidance, the sustenance, and it all must be acknowledged, even from the simple things like the food, but also to the grace. And I just want to say something about food. Never forget, ladies and gentlemen, whose bread it is. It is his bread. Let us secondly not fail to cause our courage to keep our convictions that God is a merciful God. God gives us his grace and God gives us his love beyond measure. And thank God he is long-suffering and he, he gives us strength when we are weak and I could go on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, there's the natural and there's the supernatural. When I was a kid, we, we said grace every, every day at our table. Every time we had a meal, we said grace. And... It was just part of, of the way I was raised. But once I got up and got to go, but you have to understand that when I was a young person, you, we didn't start going to restaurants till I was probably, I don't know, 11, 12 maybe. I, at least that's my early memory. Because back then it was very expensive to eat in restaurants and we raised our own food. And I know that's a day gone by and you think I'm 130, but it existed. <laughs> this saying grace, I would notice that nobody did that in a restaurant. Hardly ever, and we would bow our head, and my dad would say, grace, and we just went. It was a natural thing to me, but not in our society so much. Jesus said grace over his food. I, I got some stories here. One little boy who was unaccustomed to saying grace visited a home where they said grace, and with everyone's head bowed, the dad prayed a long prayer. So when this little boy got back home, he asked this words, he said, Mom, why doesn't Dad read what's on the plate before we eat? <laughs> Must have been small print. Another little boy, unaccustomed to saying grace at his house, someone asked. <laughs> they asked him if at his house they said grace over the meal, and he said, No, we don't have to. My mom's a good cook. <laughs> A small girl wishing to dispense was saying grace every time. You know how sometimes children are hungry or they're impatient. Not that anybody here could identify with that. But she said, why? Saying grace all the time. She said, why don't we just say one big prayer over the groceries while they're still in the bags? <laughs> Here's one I love. There's an old farmer lived way out in the country, and he finally one day made his way to town. A Christian farmer went to town at the noontime. He visited a local little mom-and-pop restaurant, bowed his head, and said grace. Four young men at the next table thought they would make fun of him and embarrass him because he was out in the country and he'd come to town. So they kind of out made a little scene in the old restaurant and said, Hey, farmer, does everybody do that out in the country where you live? And the farmer calmly replied, No, sons, the pigs don't. <laughs> 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 
Church, America, our God has abundantly supplied for our physical needs and our Heavenly Father continually supplies our supernatural spiritual needs and we need to be thankful for such. Bow your heads. Father, I had a chocolate donut this morning before I came to the pulpit. May seem menial, but I enjoyed it. Lord, I have health and strength to stand on this platform. I have presence of mind. I have been cared for. I have been protected. I have been filled with your spirit. How many times, Lord, in my journey... Have you strengthened me and spoke to me and guided me and helped me? I want to thank you for being a providential God. You have provided everything I need. And I glorify you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Second thing I want to give thanks for is the Bible. For generations, when I was younger and, of course, before... The Bible's not always been plentiful. Some places through the years and still some today, it is even forbidden. I'm grateful for a church and people who have a call of God and who want to bless missions. And every year we give thousands and multiple thousands of dollars that we can put Bibles all over this world in places where they're not welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you and thank God for this word. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his word. I could, I could, you understand I'm just touching some points today. I love this book. This is the bread. This is the map. This is the totality of God. If you want to know God, get in this book. Let me tell you something. You're not going to hear from God with an empty prayer closet and a closed Bible. But you can hear from God if you'll get alone with him and open this book. God speaks through this book. Thank God for his book. I heard a story a long time ago where a lady, a very affluent lady, weekly had a Bible study in her home. The ladies would come once a week and bring their Bible and the host would have her Bible. And came one day where they went to have the Bible study and the host was flabbergasted. She went, oh my goodness, where's my Bible? Embarrassed, she turned and asked the new maid that worked for her, where's the Bible? And the new maid said something like this, praise the Lord. Every time I start a new job, the first thing I do is hide the Bible to see how long it'll take them to miss it. How long does it take you to miss the word? Father, I can't even imagine the privilege that I experience holding the word of the living, eternal, last word, God. First word, God, and all in between. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That these words have life and they speak. They guide. They enrich, Lord. They direct. 
Father, they encourage. Lord, they give us perspective. They give us hope. Thank you for your word. Let everybody say amen. I want to say thirdly, thank God for an open church. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a privilege to be in the house of God. In the United States of America, millions every week pass in and out of an open door church. Church, America, if COVID-19 has taught us anything, it's taught us the privilege of corporate public worship. And I just want to say to those of you who are watching us on the internet, I miss you as our church family so desperately. And I so long for you to be here. And I'll be glad when we can do that. But thank God for an open church where we don't have to worry about coming and worshiping publicly our eternal God. Today, let us thank the Lord up for an open church by attending. Let us thank God for an open church by supporting it and giving. Let us thank God for an open church by participating in all the ministries. Thank God for the open church. Father, in some nations today, it would mean someone's life if they declared a worship to you. There are places today, Lord, where the churches have been closed. There are those who have to meet underground, Lord, in fear of their life. But all my life, Lord, since I can remember, a little boy in Sunday school, revivals. I thank God that we had to drive 15 miles one way and 15 miles back. But I thank God for parents who said, when the church is open, we will be there. Lord, it has so affected my life. As a matter of fact, you've called me to give my life to the church. And I thank you for the church. Amen. Number four, I think we ought to thank God for the incarnate, resurrected Christ. Think about that. I feel sorry for Dave because... There's so many last night, I, or yesterday, in the last three days, I've been, I gave him the outline, and then I called him and changed it because I wanted to add something to it, and then I called him and changed it. <laughs> so I finally got it. I want to thank God for the incarnate Christ. I want to thank God for the resurrected Christ. One Christmas morning, a pastor, in a sleep, had a dream. And in his dream... He saw a world to which the Christ, the Savior, had never come. He found himself looking all through his house in his dream. And at Christmas time, there was no Christmas wreath. There was no stockings, no holly, no tree, no ornaments, no tinsel, no bells, no festive decor at all. So he ran through his front door out into the street there. Each block, as far as he could see, there were no spiraling steeples. There was no church buildings. No crosses anywhere. I just want to stop and say, if some have their way, that's the way it'll be in our future. So 
upset, he ran back to his study. Opened his office to check out all the books, and every book, every reading that had anything to do with Christ had disappeared. A knock on the door, startling him, turned, and an announcement was made, Pastor, your mother is dying. Arriving at her bedside, he opened the Bible to comfort her. But in his dream, opening that Bible, he discovered that it ended at Malachi. For those of you that don't know what that means, it means it ended with the Old Testament. That means there was no New Testament. So where's the hope? Listen, you take this book and it's God and it's truth out of society and let me tell you, it's not long, it's over. His mother passed away. He began to weep. And suddenly, he began to hear music outside his house. The music awoke him. Carolers were singing. Oh, come all ye faithful. Come and behold him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. If you thought there was no Bible and no Christ and no salvation and no, no eternity, no future ahead, I want to tell you, you'd rejoice with me that Christ did come. That he came incarnate. Had the incarnate Christ not come, there would be no New Testament. There would be no four Gospels. There would be no cross. There would be no forgiveness. There would be nothing but death in front of us. And if the incarnate Christ had not been resurrected, there would be no hope and there would be no eternity. But he did come and he did conquer death. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to declare to you, there is a providential Lord. There is a forever ever eternal word of God there is a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against and there is an eternal Christ at the right hand of the father and he has my future and yours and as long as there's breath in my body I will be giving thanks with a heartfelt response for all these truths I have Lord I thank you that he stood in the tapestry in the splendor of heaven, looking, Lord, over the precipice of the darkness of a sin-cursed world. And you needed someone, Lord, who was perfect to pay for sin for us, who were so imperfect, we fell into its snare. And the son, in his lofty position, said, Father, send me, I will go. I can't imagine how it broke your heart. But you did it for me. You did it for those of us that would come through the blood and know about the Christ. I want to thank you, Lord, for giving him. Lord, I want to thank you for coming. In the flesh. And conquering death. Amen. I want you to consider... Consider this. Jesus was not only thankful in the sunshine, but he was thankful even in the darkness. 
Let me remind you that he took bread and he purposely broke it. Don't forget that it literally symbolized the fact that he would break his own body. And when he broke that bread, he gave thanks. Consider the fact that he took the cup. It symbolized his own blood that he would have to pour out. He took that cup, poured it out, and he gave thanks. Consider Jesus left that splendid fellowship supper. He left there and immediately he went to the sweat and the agony and the loneliness of Gethsemane. And he sang and he gave God thanks for Gethsemane. Consider when he was standing before the 5,000 men plus women and children, he had at his disposal five loaves and two fish. I want to declare to you, he did not call with a loud voice and say, Lord, we need a miracle. There's times and places for that, but instead, he just seated the crowd and rose and gave thanks to someone who could go beyond the natural, but do that which is supernatural. And he thanked God. Consider Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Wow, what an austere moment. He didn't ask the believers to stand and agree in prayer with him, though I think it would have been fine. Here he is, probably feeling very lonely. He's declared himself the Son of God and the Christ. His friend's been dead for four days. I hope you know the story. And there's an audience there. He didn't say agree with me in prayer. He just stood outside the entrance and listened to what he said. He said, Father, I thank you that you have always heard me when I pray. Listen, when you're close to a supernatural God, something supernatural isn't all that foreign. Did you get it? Father, I thank you. You've always heard me. And let me kind of summarize it. He went on to say, but I'm praying this so that all who stand here may hear me pray and believe that I am your son. God was showing those people one of the greatest physical pictures of an invitation to the supernatural. And he simply said, roll away the stone, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. I've heard theologians say it, and I believe it with all my heart. He had better be careful that he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he had just said, come forth, every saint that was ever buried in the ground up until that day would have come out of the grave. Because that's the kind of God I serve. 
But that wasn't just for Lazarus' sake. And we hang on to dear life, and rightly we should, but I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that was all for one major thing. This man was the Son of God, and when he prayed in so doing, he moved from thanksgiving, the appreciative attitude and beneficial result toward us, to the adoration of Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we ask or even think. That's the kind of God we serve. Don't let this present society and this present situation upset you, Brooks. There's times I'd like to play God. I will tell you this. This is true. If you know anything about me, I am not anywhere close to as patient as God is. And I know you're glad I'm not the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, Thanksgiving is occupied with recollecting favors received and mercies extended. And these do truly help us become more aware of the nature and the relationship with God that we have. But listen to me, and I'm through. Even in the giving of thanks... Even in the giving of thanks, there is in that thankfulness a remnant of self-centeredness. Thanking God in terms of something done for me or to me or upon my behalf. And God said, come and do that. But I want to declare to you today in 2020, when we move from thanksgiving to adoration, the moment we do, we not only thank Him, but we worship Him for who He is and what He is apart from any consideration of benefits received. Pastor, what are you saying? I think we get to a place of relationship with God far greater when we say, pray this prayer. Lord, I thank You for everything You've ever done for me. God, I thank you for sustaining my life. Listen, I've worked my guardian angels over time all my life. I have. I really have. When I get up there, I'm going to thank them. I thank God for all that he's ever done for me. But I think we need to get to a place sometime where we say, Lord, not what I've received or all this, but just because of you. Just because of you. And in essence, we're saying, Lord, if you never do one more thing for me, if you never answer another prayer, if you never do one thing for me henceforth, I want to tell you, I will love you, and I will serve you, and I want to spend eternity with just you. Generation 2020, I want to admonish us two things. First, give thanks for the benefits received. Mercies extended. Favors of love. Secondly, God, I love you for what you are and who you are. Would you stand with me? Ladies and gentlemen, He is the sovereign Lord of my life. Listen to me. Even before I existed. Before the foundations of the earth, the psalmist said, he began to form me with a soul and a spirit. 
He is the sovereign over my life even before I existed. And He is the sovereign Lord of my life who has promised me eternity. When the world is in an upheaval, it's good to know there's an anchor. And when we can just worship God as our sovereign creator and our sovereign Lord, ladies and gentlemen, we have moved from thanksgiving to adoration.